until we started looking at the data and getting into neuroscience. So I'll try and draw it in people's heads. So if you imagine four boxes and um, for us, thriving is where people are happy, but they're also engaged. Hello, and welcome to the Helping Organisations Thrive podcast. This is your host, Julian Roberts. This podcast is to provide leaders with insights, discussions, and robust strategies to help their companies thrive. We'll be interviewing business leaders, owners, experts, and thought leaders in the field of business resilience. Do enjoy the episode. Welcome to Helping Organisations Thrive. Uh, today, I have the pleasure of Matt Fidon on the show. Welcome, Matt. Hey, uh, hello. Welcome. Thank you for having me. Well, it's good to have you on, on the show today. I'm just going to tell the audience a little bit about you. You are the co-founder of the Happiness Index, uh, and that's all about uh, helping organizations measure the key employee engagement and happiness drivers to, uh, to power their people strategy. Uh, you're also the author of Freedom to be Happy, uh, the business case for happiness. There's a bit of a theme here about happiness. Um and I like what you say that you have a belief that the future of technology is human and that you're on a mission to improve the way organizations treat people. And um, today we're going to be exploring uh, how to thrive and looking at some sort of factors really to um, help organizations thrive in organizations, but using that evidence based uh, neuroscience uh, and insights along the way. But before we get into that, uh, I really want to know what do you love about what you do, Matt? Oh, that's. I'm going to start by saying what you think probably sound like the most boring answer ever, which is, which is data, <laughs> um, which sounds really boring, doesn't it? And you probably switched off half the people listening now already. But um, I'll try and say it, um, I'll, I'll try and say it the right way around. But there's, there's a saying about data basically being lots of lots of anecdotes put together. So really, data is the plural of anecdote. Um, so it's lots of stories put together so that you can then see what's going on at, from a group perspective. So the simple answer is data. But what I really mean by that is learning about human beings. Um, and the way that I do it and we do it is through data, which I, I'm actually trying to do that more is try and um, encourage people to love data. Because I think if you were like me, I d didn't really enjoy maths at school. <laughs> and sometimes people associate hating school which I, I did I, I hate a strong word I didn't enjoy school um and th and they couple that and then they think they don't like data but really data is just and database is just loads of anecdotes especially emotional data like our data so um I like finding out about human beings is is what I would say to that and as I introduce you you're all about this thing called happiness Mm. and um, happiness in the workplace and the happiness index is it's um i'm just curious uh, what got you into this um thing about happiness based on the fact that you love data and obviously it sounds like you're you're putting those two things together but what, what was it about happiness so um i had an unhappy customer <laughs> <laughs> i had an unhappy customer i was uh, i started my first business at 25 uh we scaled this uh, global marketing business. It's a great journey. Loads of mistakes. Um, started it three months before the financial crisis. <laughs> good time, yeah. Yeah, good timing. Um, 
Um, yeah, my business partner went to see one of our customers, Caroline O'Keefe, who is now our CMO. So the story has come circular. Um, she accidentally invented the happiness index by saying, we're unhappy. And how do you measure how um, happy the rest of your customers are? Like, you need to improve on this. And Chris brought that conversation back to to myself and, and, and another Matt, who was our CTO. And at the time, our mission was it was in the agency. It was called Personal Client Agency Growth. So we used to say to customers that you don't come first. We used to say, customer, uh, we look after our employees. They look after you. Um, and they and we will grow as a business. That was our like that was our philosophy. Mm. But our philosophy had gone wrong. <laughs> we met an unhappy customer. Um, and Caroline just said, "You need to measure this." And when you say that to a bunch of geeks, that's not like a throwaway comment to us. That's like, mm, what could we do with that? So we built something, a piece of software. Well, I say we, Max Stanard, our CTO, who was the CTO of that business, is now a CTO of the Happiness Index. Um, just to co- to see if there's a correlation between how happy employees are and how happy customers were. At this point, we weren't into causation for the so for the non-data geeks. The first thing you're just trying to see is does it correlate on the graph? Um, but it doesn't always mean causation. Like you get loads of things that correlate on a graph, but it doesn't mean it caused them. That came that came years later. But we were just interested, like because it, it could have ruled it out. Because it could have looked the other way, like unhappy employees might have equaled happy customers, as an example. So that's that's how we got started, complete accident. And then and then lots of our customers that we were testing this technology on said, can we have it? Um, and we said, no, it's an internal tool. It's rubbish. You can't have it. But if people ask you enough times for something, imagine if you get requests for guests. If you're if people keep mentioning the same guest, you probably look look them out. And it's the same as an entrepreneur in, in in product, if it was asked enough times. So um, I phoned my best man up from my wedding, Tony, and said, look, I knew he was unhappy. He had the highest. It, you know, every group of friends that has done the best. Tony had done the best. He was earning the big salary, had a really beautiful car, um, but was just unhappy. Um, and I basically said to him, do you want to quit your job at AXA Insurance for no money and one third of the business? and try and start the happiness index for us because we were busy on our previous business. And um, that's how we got going. And Caroline, years later, um, became our CMO. And my pitch to her was, you've invented this thing, you've got to help us market it now. So, yeah, it's come it's come full circle to the person who's I, And that's why you can never say whose idea something is, is it? It's, there's, a, there's a whole stream of people in that conversation that have resulted in, in what we ended up doing. Mm. <clears throat> it's brilliant that it obviously came out of a... A problem or, or negative feedback yeah uh, and that you i guess tried to fix that and by fixing it then you created this happiness index uh, yeah it's a, it's a great story and it's a great way of well i guess serving people isn't it um and so obviously you talk about how to help um organizations thrive my, my podcast is called that you're all about thriving as well mm. um what a what a what a what a nice link there it is um, yeah what how would you define something that's thriving? If you think, if you go into an organization tomorrow and you went, right, I think this is a thriving organization, what would be the characteristics of that organization from your perspective? It could even be your own organization. By the way, a funny thing, right? You say thriving correctly. I pronounce it like it's an F, thriving. Um, <laughs> but, but I only know this. I only know this because I, um, I did an audio book for my book and then I got this review and it said, someone said they loved it apart from the fact that I can't pronounce my own model. 
<laughs> which I thought was quite funny. So um, I'll just point that out there when I'm saying thriving for the rest of this thing, I'm, I mean thriving, but it's my, my long-standing Essex accent that I don't want to lose. But I'll totally, I'll, I'll get back to you. Or, um, can, can you say the question again? Because I'm totally sorry. Yeah, no, no, that's fine. Um, so that- when you when you, you, you define the word or define mm. how an organisation is thriving, and you go into an organisation, it could be your own organisation, what would be the characteristics that would say that's that's thriving? Got you, got you. Okay, I'll I'll talk to you about our mistake first about what we first thought it was. We first thought um, thriving was um, just about happiness. Um, we felt we thought that happiness and engagement were the same thing, and maybe the people just called them different things until we started looking at the data and getting into neuroscience. So I'll try and draw it in people's heads. So if you imagine four boxes and um, for us, thriving is where people are happy, but they're also engaged. So to explain what we define by thriving, and I'll, I'll keep doing it, try and do it with a TH, is that um, for us, that's people that are happy and engaged. But let's go through the ones that are not. So mistake number one for us is we thought it was about happy employees. Um, what we found, if you have happy employees without engagement, you basically can end up with a directionless group of people. Um, we call that an unfocused culture. Um, so if you imagine thriving is like the top, I'm just going to go back to saying thriving. <laughs> if you imagine thriving is the top right of the of, of the quadrant where you've got high happiness and high engagement, um, unfocused is, is the sort of uh, bottom right where you've got high happiness but you don't have engagement. So you need to add engagement to thrive. Um, what gets mixed mixed up with a thriving uh, culture sometimes is what um, where I don't use the term high performance anymore because I think high performance has got, I think high performance originally meant something similar to thriving, but over time it's become like this competitive, competitive version of culture um where you get people that are just out for themselves so if you just have engagement and no happiness that's that's what you have if you um so that's the top left of the quadrant if you imagine the worst the opposite to thriving we call that surviving um which is low happiness and low engagement so um i'll talk to you about the elements in a bit but i just wanted to give everyone that picture of of, of what what the other options can be because uh, sometimes people think they are thriving but Ultimately, when we look at it from a data and a neuroscience perspective, and I also want to point out your podcast and our model are both called Thrive, but there's a reason evolution is built on survive. There are times when an organization needs to go into survive, and the pandemic was an example of that. Like, mm-hmm. um, we um, at the beginning of the, the pandemic, the happiness index struggled massively because our customers didn't resign or, or hand their contracts back in they all said we can't um afford to pay you um until we know what's going on whether the world's about to end um which is ironic because if the world does end you don't need to pay anyone <laughs> anything <laughs> but um that was a real we had a mini credit crunch like i said i started my first business at the beginning of the, the first financial mm. crisis this for us the happiness index became a credit crunch um so we actually had to go and survive we had to cut budgets massively um and it was a really scary time because we run the business on a, typically on a six month uh cash runway mm. because we um 
we're self-funded by private individuals. We're not um, VC backed or anything. So we're always short of money. Um, money's always hard for us to find. Um, but that was really scary. We had to go and survive. We were definitely not in Thrive. Um, and that, uh, that, that's the other thing I want to point out, including the happiness index. I've never met a company with all happy employees and I never will. <laughs> it's normal. It's normal to have unhappy employees. And we're not called the high happiness index for a reason. We're called the happiness index which is emotions like happiness um, go up mm. and down. So um, that's, that's, that's what we see Thrive as, um, which is high happiness and high engagement. <clears throat> yeah, and I take your point on, the, on su- surviving, actually, there's a, there's, a, there's a place for it. And I think it's as long as it doesn't continue, uh, which is obviously that's when it becomes really unhealthy, a short-term yeah you know survival you know we're, we're born to, to survive that's our evolutionary um sort of standing and how we are, are made uh, and, and that's helpful particularly in a, in a real situation where you might be at sea and you fall off and you need to survive and your body yeah. kicks in and will do everything it can um in the context of yeah two years ago and i remember meeting a lot of people uh, <laughs> who were felt like they were at sea uh, without um you know a life jacket and and yeah. myself as well had that similar situation but it can't last and i think the key thing is making sure that you do get back to a place of thriving because we know that you you think clearly clearer when you're in a thriving mindset um, you talk about obviously the happiness and engagement that's interesting because yeah. obviously there's a lot of talk about you know you know, employee engagement programs, you know, employee engagement, and that's what it's all about. Yeah. And you've got this, it's not on the side, it's, it's quite central to you, um, this happiness. Um, so what is, what is, I don't know what happiness is, but how, how do you sort of see happiness is? Because it's yeah. quite a subjective thing, isn't it? I know you, you're you not going to make it subjective because you've got lots of uh, data insights that measure yeah. it. Yeah. So I think, and this is why we do test our own data. We, like I said, at first, we thought it was all about happiness and not necessarily engagement. But what we realized is actually everything was just out of balance and happiness needs to reestablish the balance of, of businesses. So we just set out to test all these different factors. Um, and the biggest game changer for us was being able to bring neuroscience into the data um, and also look at, at, at data from four dimensions. So most engagement models are asking you how you think about something. Um, but how you view a situation changes over time. So if you take your interviewing someone, um, w- when we look at data, we look at, we, we, we break it into four dimensions. So instinctive data, emotional data, rational data, and reflective data. So if we take an interview and you're interviewing someone, let's let's give the example of how that data could be different. I could say, how do you think about that person you interviewed? And you can tell me what your answer is, right? And that, that would be collecting that piece of data. And that's traditional how you will get an engagement survey built. But in an interview, when someone sits down next to you, you have an instinctive response to them, right? No matter what, what you think, it, it, it's uncontrollable. They may be, you may be, five foot six and they sit down next to you and they're seven foot your instinctive response may be to move back from this person because they are just bigger than you there's nothing there's there's that you're not in control at this point Mm -hmm. your emotional response is where um where there's a really important conversation around like unconscious bias like some learned responses that may happen there this person um may look like um may look like your dad and then you like them 
So all of a sudden you've got like a conscious bias to actually give this person more of a chance than you would the other candidates. And that's why it's important to uncover your own biases. Um, then you go through the interview questions. Uh, they answer them nice and rationally. You're ticking them, blah, blah, blah. You've got a feeling about how you thought the interview went. And then you reflect on it overnight and you think, oh, I don't want to hire them. So what we're doing is adding different layers of data and not just trying to say this is this is fact, this is the only rational part of it. Mm. So and, and if you think about happiness, happiness is an emotion. So it's going to fluctuate and it's going to change. So trying to rationalize something that is emotional doesn't make sense. Um, and engagement is an ira- a really rational thing and needs to happen and also, but they are different things. Um, so, and they help us uncover different areas. So if you look into our platform, you'll see four different dimensions of data, and then you'll see the neuroscience themes, which um, are how we break down engagement and happiness. And just, just I guess, going on to that, those neuroscience themes, how does how is neuroscience helping you um i guess help your your customers in terms of developing uh thriving organizations uh, what are you doing sort of differently how are you taking that data and insight so the way that we're using it because you think most neuroscience originally is used in the medical in, in, in the medical industry we're sort of pioneers of bringing it into the workplace um what it's allowing us to do is break the employee experience data silos so we tag all our surveys with neuroscience. So the, I'll just read out the, the top four. And again, this, this isn't my opinion. This is just what we're, this is what we see um, through the evidence. So the top four, and I'll do them in reverse order um, for happiness drivers specifically. Um, psychological safety, freedom to take opportunities, feelings of acknowledgement, and number one, which comes out the same in, in every country because it varies via country, is uh, positive relationships. So... In a traditional way that you would collect data, most engagement surveys, they've taken the old paper surveys and they've put them online, they've put them in a funky tool and it looks great. <laughs> like that, that, But that's essentially what they've done. It's a bit, I used to uh, uh, work at the Guardian newspaper um, for a company called Cable. And that was in the period where they just took newspapers and put them online. No wonder newspapers struggled for a long period of time because they just took the original product and, and slapped it online. And, and engagement, engagement platforms have done that really. Um, so what it allows you to do is if you're using neuroscience, not only have you got those four dimensions of data, you can also tag the surveys. So let's take psychological safety as an example. Traditional way, send a survey out on psychological safety. Find out, is this a psychologically safe place? Rationally makes sense. But people... And, and there's many, I mean, I, I, I'm, I'm doing a psychology master, so I'm doing a lot of stuff on psychological safety. And, and there's many, um, I guess... Uh, psychometrics out there that measure you know people yeah. writing you know ticking boxes you know strongly agree disagree yeah. and you get a score and, and you think are you psychologically safe How yeah 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 absolutely and, and are, are you taking those into your into your own sort of platform those sort what, of more psychometrics so what we're doing is partly that but what we're doing is we're taking if we take let's take the employee experience as an example let's take onboarding and exit survey there's a big hopefully if things have gone well there's a there's a long period of time between the onboarding of an employee and the exiting of an employee um but there are key trends to measure so we're measuring all those neuroscience themes on across the employee experience so 
psychological safety will come up in a psychological safety survey, obviously, (laughs) but we're measuring it across the board because they're the fundamentals of our model. So we're measuring psychological safety at every employee experience point, including any time that they want to feedback how they're feeling 24-7. So what that means is you can then actually drill down to where the psychological safety issue is occurring in your organisation. It could be a team, it could be a location, it could be a particular manager that's making the team feel unsafe. It could be um, something completely different. But the point is you don't know and you need a way to investigate and understand. Mm. So when you log in on the dashboard, if it says psychological safety is low, you don't just go into a psychological safety survey and then get the information from the people who filled out the psychological surveys, which is also a useful thing to do. I'm not discrediting that. I'm saying that will sit in a silo. Mm. So the way that we work across the different dimensions of data, it allows you to investigate and find out where the problem is. Um, and But that's where the AI comes in. And, and I think back to my, because I'm really a techno- um, technology guy um, that loves data. When we started the marketing agency, where AI is versus where it is now, that that's done like that. That just does that in two seconds and lets you analyze the data. You think when you're doing it with paper surveys, one, you couldn't do it. Two, if you could, it would take you two years to do the data, at which point it's out of date. Um, so that's the cool part, really, is taking those those real themes. And, and that's why even when you go back to the original question of, like, what do I enjoy doing? Like, this is fascinating. When you first show this to a company, mm. um, sometimes they just sit in silence for 15 minutes. That happened recently in a board meeting because they're uncovering information that they was just never aware of because the higher you t- tends to be the higher you go up in an organization, the more filtered your view is. Mm. And, and it is useful being high up, isn't it? Because you can get a perspective of what's going on, but it also means you lose the detail of what's happening in your workforce and, and psychological safety is something that you could easily miss. Um, but as we know, is a key driver to, to, to happiness. So it's like literally <laughs> in the top four. So it's, it's, Sort of, sort of more of a modern version of Maslow's Maslow's hierarchy needs is something we all know, isn't it? But mm. when was that last time that was updated with data? I don't know. Don't think it ever has. We've we've had some fun bashes at it, um, but it's sort of just updating that hierarchy of needs is brilliant because it helped us all picture mm. what was going on. But it's can't remember what year that was, but it's um, it's, it's, it's that model's been around for a while now. Mm. So this is taking the data, and as you say, if you're in a, an organisation and you might, from your perception, depending where you are, actually feel, A, personally psychologically safe as one aspect, and you may observe that it seems okay, but actually this is taking it down to every employee who's filling out these surveys and then, I guess, feeding back anonymously, and then you get either, as you say, is it in teams or is it individuals that are feeling not very safe, uh, which obviously is a, uh, obviously a negative impact in terms of happiness, innovation, a whole host of stuff. And I guess that that's when, so that so it, it gives them insights then for action, doesn't it? And where they come yeah. out with an action plan of how do I identify, how do I, I guess, change this and move this? Um, and then obviously you measure, I guess, after that and see if things are, are changing, I guess. Yeah. And we're slightly different on that point. Like everyone wants action planning because it makes rational sense. Again, action planning is a rational piece of work to do mm. but we're slightly different in the fact that a lot of what's out there we our customers call sort of like gcse hr where it says if this happens do this but every organized every individual is different therefore every team's different 
therefore every company's different and everyone's culture is different so the, what we try and do is coach our customers to use the data to make better decisions rather than to make the decision which you would think was weird for someone who's a technology person to say that but i believe like you said at the beginning the, the future of technology is human don't think it should take over what we're doing it should be there to help us and so to give you let's give you a practical real life example I was working um, with a brewer, um, sorry, like a pub chain. They've got about, they've got about five. I'll vary the range so it keeps them anonymous, but let's say five to ten thousand employees um, based around the UK. They got their data back, um, and they'll get all these themes like psychological safety and, and so on. And how they use the data is: let's take psychological safety. If there was pubs that had low scores and pubs that had high scores they they teamed them up so they actually how can we learn from what's going well from these because if you get if it comes back right a whole organization you go psychological safety is low the first thing to think is oh this is terrible but when you drill down if you've got the filters right well then actually there's still some pockets of people in in an organization that are doing it well how do we learn from those people and how do we spread that um, and that's 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 like the difference between telling an organisation what to do and coaching mm-hmm. them because you can come in and pretend to be the expert, but I don't understand the brewery industry. <laughs> I don't understand pub chains, and consultants can can help ask the right questions. But ultimately, I think normally the organisations the, the answers are already in the organisation, mm-hmm. and they can help you get there because they've got loads of um, managers of pubs that are doing a brilliant job on psychological safety. Um, and let's just capture that um, and learn from it. So I just want to give you a practical example of the, the difference between action <laughs> and telling a company what to do and coaching them and helping them get to the answer. So, so your your platform obviously gives them these great insights that they can obviously drill down into various, I guess, uh, types of uh, levels in their organisation, depending on how it's all set up, I guess. Um, do you then, as you say, do you do this sort of consulting coaching piece where or do they do they just go right we've got a problem with this therefore we're going to tackle it in this way or do they reach out to you are you doing both of those things with them or left their own devices it's a mix um some some are customers at enterprise um i hate the word enterprise but they're they're paying for more service to help us come in and mm. do like customized board reports and, and meet with them some and many more of our, our newer clients are completely self-service they've got they, they might already be working with a consultant um they've, they've they've got everything you can imagine from a hr team perspective um and they're really on it um and they just use it and that's cool and we're happy with both mm-hmm. um i personally like getting involved in some of the meetings i don't do it as much as a team but you learn a lot about your own product seeing it seeing it used live so i think we'll probably always have a two but um yeah some some teams are just great and they just want it out of the box and want to crack on and don't want to speak to us and that's fine we, we're not offended by that it's a it's a much more scalable way of doing things and because we're globally all around the world um we just couldn't have an office in every country we used in 100 countries we just there's no way as a self-funded startup we could have an, a, a, an office location in every mm. country that we collect data in and you thought at the start about this happiness uh, and engagements um does happiness fuel engagement or is it completely separate and how do we then create take that happy employee and make them engaged it's this this proves that we are having a free-flowing conversation because I'm about to ask you, can I share some data live whilst we're here? Of course you can, yeah. 
so I'd like to just show you um, I'd like to just share my screen now um, and I'd like to just share you a graph from last year um, okay. I'll just bring it up for everyone we didn't know we were going to do this but it says share down the bottom here so let's let's give it a go I know because I know that some of this um, gets used as a podcast I'll make sure I explain what's going on on the screen like a good um, like I'm a weather reporter um can you see my screen yeah let me add it to the stream there we go so this is um this is from our um universe so 100 countries um the what people who can't see the screen uh on the podcast i'll describe to them there is an orange line which is happiness and there is a blue line that is engagement both lines are going up and down uh, that is normal. Um, happiness is like a heartbeat. It's not supposed to just be up. It's supposed to have a rhythm to it. Um, what you will see on this graph is you will see that ha engagement is about average last year, but happiness is way below the average. So um, for those that can't see the graph, I'm just going to give you the two um, outcomes from this graph. Um, happiness and engagement are different, um, and you can see that in their ratings but also they are related, so they follow each other. So it does tend to be that if engagement's going up, happiness goes up, and if happiness goes down, engagement's going down. So to give you the best way, and I'll come out of that graph now, um, the way that, um, how do I click unshare? Have you unshared me? I've unshared you. Oh, okay, brilliant, you're a master at this. <laughs> um, I look at them like, to, to go out of day to speak, I look at them like siblings. I look at happiness engagement like siblings, um, which is they are related and they have a relationship, but they are unique and different. Um, that, as of one of five children, that's that's the way that I've that I've learned to explain it to myself. So they flow um, and they they impact each other, but they are but they are different. And if you look at that graph, that graph was last year. Fast forward to January of this year, everyone's talking about the Great Resignation. Now, if you were just measuring engagement, you would think in your organisation everything's all right, everything's fine, engagement's looking good. Come come January, everyone's resigning, great resignation. So um, our belief from our data is that the great resignation is an emotionally driven resignation, not a rationally driven. Mm -hmm. um, and there's a bias to think that, emotion, that rational thinking is better than emotional thinking. Um, which I, I, I dispute um, personally because I think they're all important. Um, and the fact is your job can tick all the boxes in the world, but you can be deeply unhappy because you're not psychologically safe. Mm. Um, so I think there's a lot of people that, that they just, whilst the pandemic, they're in survival mode. If we use the model that we talked about earlier from, on an individual basis, they were perhaps engaged but unhappy um engagement may have dropped a little bit some of them were in survive but they were surviving to pay their bills to keep their their family running but they may have been treated really badly the minute things look like the world's getting back to normal they're resigning so it's a slightly different take um but that's that's ours based on data from from what we've seen so you're saying that i had saw that right in that graph about the happiness and uh, engagement there's a correlation between the two but there's no there's no causation between the two. Is that is that how? No, but there is a but there is a relationship. 
there is a relationship yeah um so they 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 do impact each they, they do impact each other um and um but the problem is the focus has only been on one of them yeah so organizations are focused on engagement because we're taught to be rational and we're taught to not be emotional but the way i see it is emotions are data points whatever they are that mm. like what's that what's the, um grief grief is the price we pay for love like that's that's an example of it isn't it like mm. these are all these things they're how they're what make us great as human beings and we get to work and we're we're, we're told to ignore them whereas they can be incredibly powerful um, and ultimately they give us energy that's the point isn't it yeah. like that's why you get people in that engaged place ticking all the boxes but they're like can't bother to go to work because they're not happy and they and, and it's the happiness that drives the energy yeah that's really good i think it's really good to have that understanding of happiness and engagement and uh you need both and and you need to measure both uh, in yeah. some context and look at your organization and how happy they are and how engaged they are and, and it's that there's obviously a correlation there's a relationship but actually don't um be blindsided by just engagement which i think a lot of organizations just yeah. focus very much on and it, it seems that you're bringing something uh, quite unique and obviously got a, a platform that, that will help measure that yeah. uh, if people are are interested in, in a it's what you've been saying and, and want to hear more um and about your company what's the best way of them connecting with you and also it'd be good to let them know about i know you're speak, doing a tedx speak speak soon so if you want to sort of talk about that as well yeah i would say and this includes people who are not looking to buy um because we're we we like i've already said we learn through feedback i would say to go to www.thehappinessindex.com and actually just book a demo with the sales team and even if you're not in there looking to buy um just tell the salesperson beforehand i've just listened to matt and i'm just intrigued on how these dimensions work and how the neuroscience work because it's one thing when i'm explaining it in theory it's another when you see it live so if you're interested i just that's what i would say to people now just go and have a demo and it it might spark something in in, in your own thinking um that that even if you don't become a customer like there's like this you could be frustrated by this but i know loads of people have been influenced by our stuff and changed the way their models work internally by our stuff and they never become a customer but i'm not worried about that because we we're playing the long game and they may move jobs in two years time and go i've always wanted to work with you but we had this other thing um so i would just say go and have um go and have a demo um mm. in terms of my tedx um it depends how geeky you are. So it's the 22nd. Um, I think there's, there's tickets left. It, there's a few tickets left. It's TEDx Brighton. It's in the big Brighton Dome thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think it's the biggest TEDx. I'm slightly scared as well. Um, but um, you're probably the first people I'm telling this, but I, um, I I listened to my own presentation back and I was a bit like, oh, it's a bit boring. So I've te- it, it was good. It's loads of data. It's, it's, it's 12 million lessons in happiness, basically. It's all our data points told in a story. But I'm a geek, so I've turned it into a comic strip. <laughs> it's like a manga comic strip now. So I've, I've tried to um, make it more interesting. Um, and and one of my missions is to get people not scared about data. So I've taken all the data points and I've turned it into a, a comic strip. So 
Um, if anyone's interested, come along and we're gonna have we're gonna have loads of fun. I'm gonna try and get 12 million lessons into 15 minutes, which is gonna be tough. I'm sure you'll do it. And uh, for those who will be listening to this on on the podcast, I will put a link to the the TEDx that would have probably been been and gone if they've missed yeah. it live, but they can still see it. And it sounds interesting. And I'll, I'll look forward to, to watching that. Well, Matt, it's been uh, fascinating. And I'm sure we can oh, carry on talking. Before we, wrap up, yeah. before we wrap up, I have one question for you that I wanted to ask you. I know you like the, the guests doing the talking, right? <laughs> so- I just want to take those four themes, right? Psychological safety, positive relationships, freedom to take opportunities and feelings of acknowledgement. They change from person to person, right? And country to country. And for you, what would you say is the, is the most important one for your happiness? I'd, I'd just love to know. Ooh, that's a, that's, for me, I, it's psychologically safety is always being the key thing. And the reason I say that is, when you're psychologically safe, it means, A, you learn better. You're in more of a learning environment. Uh, it means also you feel valued because you can contribute uh, or you feel you can contribute so you feel valued. Um, but also it's important in a psychologically safe environment that you actually can challenge, challenge the status quo. And yeah. and that for me is, I work for myself now, but being in organizations where I can go to you know my boss and challenge them, obviously respectfully, uh, and feel I'm not going to be pushed back. But also with psychological safety, it, 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 to me, it's the the sort of bedrock of innovation and innovative yeah. culture because you can't push the boundaries and and uh, push out there in terms of, I suppose, creating an opportunity where you may fail <laughs> Yeah, because when you're pushing boundaries uh, and psychological safety makes you think, I, if I fail, it's okay, I'm not going to be chastise for it long-winded answer there but that, that's my, no it's um, brilliant I for me that's that sums up goes back to your first question that's what I love I love putting our data and our models out there and and hearing other people's interpretation of it so yeah no I'm sorry to put the questions back on you but I, no, that's I found, fine and it really fascinating to listen to your answer yeah well no so thank you but yeah thank I, I've uh, we could talk more because hence you're just asking questions to me so <laughs> you're reversing it around suddenly I'm being interviewed by you but that's great Matt and uh thank you for your time today and uh, I'll get all the links uh, to your website to the TEDx as well in the show notes as well thank you for coming Brilliant. today thanks for having me thank you for taking the time to listen to this episode if you do like this episode then please do rate review and share with your friends and colleagues As a coaching practice, we coach high-performing leaders and teams with extreme ambitions. We'll help you to go beyond what you believe is possible. If this sounds like you, then let's have a conversation with me. Contact me at julianrobertsconsulting.com.